Beautiful. Hello. Episode 76 coming at you live from the Vox World headquarters. And they said we wouldn't last, Andy. No. They said we'd never, we'd never top 70. And here we are sitting at 76. The nice thing is um, we are now at, uh, at uh, approaching Andy's weight. And, um, you know, we did his age in the 40s. Now we're getting to his weight, which is fantastic. Um, I just want to say hello. Thank you for everyone that came out to the live show last week. Um, for those of you that had RSVP'd and forgot, uh, it's our fault. We didn't remind you. Um, and, uh, but, but we're, we're, we're so grateful that, I don't know, what oh, was yeah. it, 60 or 70 or 50 oh, or whatever yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, came out. So thank you for that. And, and our Patreon supporters, guys, seriously, thank you. Um, you guys are ridiculously encouraging and supportive, and we're we're very very grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Andy, you doing okay? Anything big gonna happen in the next uh, couple of weeks here for you? Um, there is this uh, little package my wife has been carrying around for eight and a half months. So yeah, was... she's about to deliver that in a couple weeks. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. I thought I thought you were talking about the little package you carry around. Yeah, but that... I didn't realize. Okay, so you're talking <laughs> about you're talking about a child. I'm talking about a child. That's right. So, yeah, Mercedes, Andy's wife, is about to give birth in the next couple of weeks. Yep. Yeah. To a, do you want to give any specifics? Or, or um, is, this a, is this a reveal? Oh, this is... Well, yeah, it's a boy. Okay. His name is Shepard. Shepard. And um, I, mean, that, I guess that's about as so specific every Christmas, as I get. So every Christmas, when, when you read the shepherds oh, were... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's in. Shepherds were at their fields, you know, watching over their flocks. Yep. And God appeared to the shepherds, and it's like... This is you, man. Yeah, um, this is your role. <laughs> so, so Shep. I mean, is that gonna? Are we gonna shorten it? I don't. All? Yeah, I go with Shep. Okay, not Purd. No. <laughs> Hi, Purd. Okay, excellent. Like the newscaster from uh, Parks and Recreation. Oh my Purd. goodness! Perfect. So Shep, we're we're excited about Shep. Oh, so yeah. if you get some solo mic podcast, that's what's happening. Yeah. Um. And and we'd all be grateful, I think, for that time. Um. Uh, <laughs> just just you and me. Um, so that's big. Uh, I don't know, man, there's so much going on. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the great, the great thing for me, we're recording this on a Thursday. It's the, it's the night or the day of the NFL draft and my Browns, uh, my Cleveland Browns hold the first and 12th pick and, uh, in the first round and it is, it is always a yearly, um, uh, joy to watch them screw this up so magnificently. <laughs> and uh, so I'm excited to see what sort of chaos, hey. you know, what, three years from now when we look back at this draft about how horrible it was, because right. that's what we've, do, we've done to every other one in the last 20 yeah. years. That's how I feel going to other church services sometimes. <laughs> wow. Wow. And, and ours included. Oh, well, that's but, true. Yeah, I was going to say that's, yeah, if you want to see a catastrophe, sit, sit show by, up. Sit, sitting around and just watching how this is going to get screwed up. Yes. Yeah, that sounds like Vox right there. All right. So uh, I'm, I'm very, I'm a very uh, large social media presence. Yeah. I have a very large social media presence, mm-hmm. um, literally and figuratively. And not really. I, I, um, Andy does a lot. It helps me a lot. But um, there was a hashtag running around Twitter uh, this week that I thought was interesting. Things only Christian women oh, hear. Yeah. And so I, I collected a few of the, uh, of the choice ones. Uh, I thought I'd read those and then we'd have a talk about <laughs> this. Um, uh, and I'm not going to give shout outs. I mean, they, they're written by all kinds of different people. Um, but but it shows it shows some of the um, 
while some of the implicit or explicit misogyny that still exists in the church, it, it, it is an incredibly heartbreaking sort of revelation of, of some very, very poor theology uh, that is still hanging around. It is, uh, as Bonnie's talked about, and, and uh, some of the other teachers that, that we have at Vox Community, Megan, uh, Fate Marshman, and Carrie Garcia, I mean, there's this stigma still. Yeah about somebody who's a, a female pastor. I heard, a, I, I was um, Facebooking, <laughs> which I never do, um, uh, messaging somebody uh, who's a pastor at a very, very well-known church. And she just was saying, you know, it's brutal to, to be a, a woman pastor in that environment. Mm. Um, but she's a women's pastor, so it's okay. She, has, she can pastor right. women. Yeah. Um, so here's some of the, the things only Christian women hear. You can teach the women and children, you just can't teach the men. Um, you're an amazing leader. You'd make an excellent pastor's wife someday. <laughs> Women are too emotional to be leaders and pastors. Oh. Um, uh, okay. Now, and I've seen this. Okay, you can teach, but there has to be a male leader in the room when you do. Mm-hmm. Um, women can write theology books, but not teach theology. Um, you will be able to preach, uh, but we will let the congregation know the elders reviewed and okayed the message. Uh, there are only a few women used as leaders in the Bible, but those were because there was no, there were no men available. Wow. Um, like at, like at the end of, uh, when, uh, Jesus died. Right. And, uh, yeah. And Mary and Martha were there cause the apostles were not. Don't, don't, do not start using <laughs> biblical facts. Uh, biblical womanhood can be defined by marriage and motherhood. Um, we have female uh, directors who are like pastors, except in title and authority. So that's one of the ways Ooh. churches are really, really inconsistent is they'll have a, uh, a director of ministry yes. and not call it a pastor, right. but give authority. I mean, it's just oh, the, the, the double standards on some of this stuff. Um, women have the ability to give and nurture life. Is that not enough? Um, girl, don't buy a house. How is your husband supposed to feel like a man if he doesn't buy your first one? What? Yep, yep, yep. Um, your clothes can cause boys to sin. Um, I know women who have heard this. Do you think uh, not doing your wifely duties enough caused him to cheat on you? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> you're too strong. Uh, you've got to let him lead if you want a man. Um, uh, let's see. You can't be, uh, let's see if, um, we can't meet at Starbucks, just the two of us. It might give the appearance of evil. I can affirm your gift of teaching to women and children. (laughs) Um, you know too much about, about the Bible. You will be too intimidating for a guy to marry. How will they lead you? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. What's the measure of, of too much? <laughs> we, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just pulling out the choice ones. I, I noticed your preaching conference has all male leaders, she said. Uh, they responded by saying, we have a women's track for the first ladies. Um, I guess the pastor's wives is what that meant there. Um, you have tremendous leadership gifts. Too bad you weren't born a man. Um, we appreciate you volunteering for years, but now that we, now that we have to pay somebody, it's got to be a man. Uh, we don't permit women to preach, but you can share. <laughs> uh, men will look at you and be tempted to sin. We say this to 12-year-old girls. I was ashamed until my 20s. Jen Hatmaker uh, said, preached a huge church once. The intro to her um, sermon was, men were going to peek over the lady's shoulders and listen while Jen shares with them. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Um... 
Wear, please wear one piece so boys aren't tempted. Um, while the you know the boys can wear whatever they want, right? Especially um, on on stage, full one piece unitar. <laughs> <laughs> You're equal to men in value. You just have a different role. God made you uh, to submit to man's final authority. Uh, oh, darling, this single season. Uh, is that you're in is so precious. Use it for the Lord. He will bring you your man. Um, you can teach other children and uh, other women. You just can't teach men. Um, if you preach, I will get up and walk out. Yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> your husband needs to come to the meeting too. I can't be alone with a woman from my male pastor. Hmm. Um, Two-piece bathing suits are not allowed. Dress modestly. Men can't control their thoughts and you don't want to cause them to stumble. Uh, but if the senior pastor is a woman, how will I relate to her? Uh, to which this young lady responded, um, "How do I relate to a man?" So, so it, this was interesting. And then, and then, and then, uh, the African American community chimed in and said, oh, "Things only Black Christian women hear." Oh, well, I didn't see that one. Yeah, and uh, and of course, some men were chiming in, both saying, "Hey, you know, we're sorry about this," and saying, "Hey, you guys are nuts. Yeah. You know, just shut up." So of course, here we here we go, gender issues. Um, but but I thought as I was reading it, I was a bit heartbroken because of the double standards. And the reason I changed my position on this, there were a couple of big reasons. One was I felt like the text and scholarships around some of the controversial texts, um, scholarship, I should say, around some of the controversial texts changed my mind. I mean, it was it was um, Gordon Fee, Craig Keener. Kenneth Bailey, N.T. Wright, I mean, guys that were, um, and women that were, Sarah Sumner, um, uh, that were that were showing there were much different and better ways to understand some of these pro- prohibitive texts. Um, but, but another reason was just simply some of the double standards. It's like, listen, you know, we let... We let women be missionaries overseas, but we won't let them preach and teach here. So if yeah. you're, if you're, I mean, and, and that's racist. I mean, not only is it sexist, but it's racist that these other, these other pagan tribes, you know, it's okay if a woman oh, teaches okay. them, Okay, All right. but yeah. for us and Latin yeah. Americans, sorry, women, you can't teach us. I mean, right. I, I worked, I served at a church that had not let women serve communion for 57 years. And I went to the elders and I said, show me the verse. Show me the verse that says women cannot serve communion. I mean, and there, of course, there's not yeah, there's, a freaking verse. Right. And and their answer was, well, it was just a co- kind of a cultural thing. And exactly. Exactly. That's what this is. This is not biblical. Um, this is this is a couple of verses yanked out of context with a whole lot of men justifying why they should be in charge. Right. And so I, I know I have great complementarian friends. Complementarians are people who believe that, that men and women are, have complementary, complementary uh, giftings and roles in the kingdom. And I certainly agree that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible does not distinguish or does not extinguish differences between men and women. But uh, at the same time, I, I've really rethought part of my view. And part of it is because the hypocrisy of the complementarian movement. Right. Um, you, they'll let people share, but they can't teach. Uh, we have commentaries, but women are seminary professors. Um, you know, they write textbooks, but they can't speak on a Sunday. Yeah. I mean, give me a freaking break. They can be pastors, but not senior pastors. I mean, it's all of, they're just unbiblical distinctions. Truly, there's no, I mean, there there's... Uh, what counts as teaching, right? So, so, so is it, and what, and, and what's old men and young men? I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. And it, and it really seems subjective to the comfort level of the individual church. Yeah. Um, so what I want to do 
is I want to spend just a little time and, and, and there's a greater application than this. So if you're, you're, you're tuning in and you're just like, oh, really more women stuff. Um, first of all, you need this. <laughs> Secondly, there are some, some, um, there's some guiding sort of uh, anchors in how I interpret the scriptures around these sorts of issues. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I want to go over some of those anchors. Okay. I don't want to get into the specific uh, prohibitive texts, although that would be interesting. Mm. And I'll be glad to in another podcast, but that would be literally going through the Bible and talking about Greek words and choices that you make. Sure. You know? Okay, this is more, uh, um, more of a meta conversation about how is it when you come to a topic like this, um, among others, how is it, what are the guiding sort of anchors, uh, mm-hmm. along the way of interpreting the, the text? Right. So I want to use this as an example of those anchors. Okay. Make sense? Yeah, it's great. I, I mean, this is, whether this is a, a side note or a contribution or something to consider, because I think it, it's easy for us to look at it as complementarian versus egalitarian, and we approach it in that sense too. And I feel like some of what I, I've I've kind of seen heard in other podcasts too is there's also this layer of authoritarianism, you know, where then it's kind of it it gets to this place where you have this outrageous leadership support and it, that's that's a cultural thing to me where then all decisions are led by leader figure and then it's just if complementarianism is a part of it then it's held so tightly and it's like authoritative but, over its entire community it's not like the entire community around it is working through the theology and right. then coming to how it establishes its leadership right it's rather a leadership comes in and overly overtly defines how that actually gets worked out yes and so i, I kind of also see this tension between how do churches overcome that sensationalist of of a a high power leadership that's over it versus its willingness to hear you know what its community is is seeing and understanding in its theology to work itself out sure so that's i kind of see that that's more of like the aspect of resistance for change is because it's against authority like a high authority yeah more than because i think that there's tons of women in churches that hold their doctrine is complementarianism that just outrageously disagree, but they're there. Right. And they're like, but and, they're I gracious. Have, and I have no way to help, like influence the leadership in a healthy way. That's, that's doing that. Well, so it's, it's, it's funny because we have teeters. the reverse at Vox. We have some complementarian women mm-hmm. who aren't comfortable with my egalitarian stance. Yeah, sure. And so uh-huh. they're here blessing and serving even though they disagree, Yeah, which is amazing. And, and anybody who lives, I mean, you're never going to find a perfect faith community. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question of who gets to decide what we believe collectively, I mean, that's, that's a huge question. Yes. And plays into... The complementarian, egalitarian. Now, again, if these words are new to you, so so complementarians typically restrict women's roles in the church somewhere, whether it's at the elder level, whether it's senior pastor, whether it's pastor, whether it's teaching, somewhere along the line. Egalitarians say, yes, of course there are differences, but we see that gifts are poured out by the Holy Spirit you know, without regard to gender. Mm-hmm. And so the only question about whether somebody ser- should serve in leadership is, you know, is their character one like Jesus and do they have the gift of leadership, right? Yeah. I mean, that's it. Right. So, so I want to, I want to talk about some of the anchors. Um, and, and again, I mean, my journey went from wanting to push the boundaries of complementarianism, which I held for years and years and years, but I held it because it was inherited. I, I didn't mm. hold it because I'd studied it. I held it because that was the view everyone held. Right. And um, and so it was these double standards that began to provoke the, okay, is this right? I mean, really? 
that I, and then I got into it and went, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. So here we go, anchors. Number one. Now, now this is assuming, okay, that that you hold the Bible in some sort of authority. Now, if you don't, you know, you're not going to care. But if you if you have some sort of authority attached to it, and you want to, you have some sort of motivation to want to honor that authority. That's assumed in what I'm about to say. So, you know, we've had conversations about the Bible before and man, you know, I love those questions because there's so, so much to explore, but I'm kind of assuming that, that we're holding a high view and we want to honor that in regards to, um, how we organize faith communities Mm -hmm. uh, uh, of the Jesus following type. So first the Bible should always be interpreted in a manner that respects both the divine and human elements of it. So for me, uh, now this is true of anything, right? So I hold a high view of the Bible. I believe it's inspired. We've talked about the fact that I don't use the word inerrant Mm -hmm. anymore or infallible anymore uh, and why that is. So that was previous podcast, but I I believe it's God inspired. The, the, The word that Paul uses is God breathed. Um, I believe there's, there's, it's unique in all of book land. <laughs> it's not just a, it's not just something some, some old dudes threw together. I yeah. think there was something to it that I have. Be- and, I, and I trust the Bible, not because I trust the Bible. I trust the God who sits behind the Bible. And I trust the Jesus revealed through the scriptures that, that God would arrange some sort of um, message that that God wanted us to know mm-hmm. um, and, and was and, and used human beings to do that. And, and so, Typically, you have you have folks in in Christian circles that honor the divine side, um, but they ignore the human side, or or they focus entirely on the human side and how fa- fallible the humans were that was writing this, yeah. and they ignore the divine side altogether. And and I just always want to hold those intentions. So, so first of all, I want to be congruent with the, with the scriptures teaching on the role of our sisters in the faith communities that that grew up around Jesus, uh, because I I hold a high view of it. Um, and, and then secondly, because I hold a high view of it, I, I do see uh, it teach that, um, that the same spirit that inspired the, the scriptures gives gifts to men and women, regardless of gender, regardless of a qualification, but just kind of sovereignly sows uh, gifts. And, and w- Paul encourages us to ask for gifts too, mm-hmm. but ultimately we're not in charge of the spiritual gifts that we have or don't have. Um, we can pursue some or not pursue some or, you know, cultivate them or not cultivate them. But no matter how much I try, uh, the gift of, of um, uh, administration, you know, escapes my <laughs> grasp. Um, so, so, so we want to honor, we want to be aligned with the text because we respect the, the God inspiredness of it. But because we respect the humanness of it, we want to realize that, uh, that God spoke in Moses's day in Moses's way. Right, that's Scott McKnight's mm. like little slogan. Okay. Um, God spoke in Jesus's day and Jesus's way. Right. Okay. I mean, that that and that's just a, a shorthand way of saying all scriptures incarnational, that it was spoken into a context through a language by human agency and human personality, um, respecting the cultural assumptions and preconditions of the time. So God wasn't teaching on the big bang in Genesis and, you know, I mean, so on, so on, so on. You have, you have images of how the pre-moderns viewed the, the way the earth stood on pillars and was surrounded by water. And God doesn't correct that. Mm. God uses those images and, and we've talked about this. So this shouldn't be anything 
new or controversial. This is just simply realizing we have to respect the genre of the literature, the context, the audience. I mean, all those huge questions that talk about, okay, what's sitting behind this? Because we're just getting half a story Mm -hmm. uh, in some of the letters that are quoted against women being in certain positions of leadership. Make sense? Yes. So we just have to respect both parts of that. Number two, second anchor. The Bible should always be interpreted in a way that aligns with the practices of Jesus. That's why for so many of us, the problem of the violence of the Old Testament God and the Jesus who's saying, love your enemies and bless those that persecute you, that's why that's such a problem for us. Because we realize the scriptures teach that Jesus is the fullest revelation of what God's like. And if that's true, then what what in the world's going on when God commands genocide and when God is, you know, the, the, the Ten Commandment, one of the Ten Commandments is do not kill, but the punishment for breaking one of the Ten Commandments is killing. Yeah. Right? So what... Yeah. So, okay, what, what the heck's up with that? I mean, so you have, um, you have uh, all of these things that kind of ram together and Jesus is presented as the arbiter of what gets counted as the fullest revelation of what God's like. Mm. So, and it's no shock and it will be no surprise to our audience because uh, they're all highly, highly, highly intelligent people that Jesus was revolutionary when it came to um, how he treated women and how he elevated them in partnership in ministry. And so I want to give you examples of some quotes from other Jewish writers of the time just to show you how much Jesus stands out. So here's Philo, um, who was a Jewish scholar from Alexandria who lived, I don't know, maybe 100 years before Jesus. He said, the attitude of, of man is informed by reason. That of woman the, the attitude of woman is uh, informed by sensuality. Okay, so emotionalism, Whoa. you know, blah, blah, blah. Josephus, uh, generation after Jesus, Jewish historian. The woman is inferior to the man in every way. Okay, just so we're clear. The Talmud, the Talmud, the Talmud um, was very explicit. Now, this was, this was put together... Um, this was a collection of, uh, of rabbinical judgments, um, to, you know, 200 to 500, I think AD or BCE, however, what's, whatever the politically correct thing is. Uh, but it also expresses views of much earlier time. So there's some discussion on how much this, these views are around in Jesus's day, but you, uh, many of us have heard the threefold daily prayer that was taught in the Talmud. Uh, praise be to God that he's not created me a Gentile. Praise be to God that he's not created me a woman. Praise be to God that he's not created me to be an ignoramus or to be an idiot or to be, you know, somebody who was dumb or immoral. The rabbi said um, four qualities are ascribed to women. They are gluttonous, eavesdroppers, lazy, and jealous. They are also querulous, which means they're um, complaining all the time. And uh, garrulous, I think is how you pronounce it. And that means they, uh, they talk too much. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the, the, there, there wasn't uh, the same equal access in education to the, for Jewish girls as there was, of course, to Jewish boys. Um, I mean, it was just a big deal. One Torah teacher said, whoever teaches his daughter Torah, the first five books of the Bible, um, it is though he has taught her obscenity. Um, or one rabbi said, uh, let the words of Torah rather be destroyed by fire than be imparted to a woman. Okay. <laughs> oh now, gosh. now what Jesus did, it, Jesus kind of stood out. I mean, first of all, Jesus had intimate disciples, 
Um, Jesus uh, had very close friendships that were women. Jesus was supported by wealthy women in his ministry. Uh, Jesus um, healed, blessed, served, never mocked. None of his parables were ever told at the expense of women. Um, Jesus protected women in in the way he answered questions about divorce and adultery. Um, uh, Jesus, there's this very famous story about Mary and Martha. I think it's in Luke 11, and and it's it's um, the, the, they were sisters, and Jesus is sitting in their home, and uh, Martha is it's, uh, occupying the 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 typical woman space uh, in the back of the house. She's preparing a meal, while her sister Mary is uh, occupying a typically masculine space and sitting at the feet of Jesus in the posture of a learner um, to a rabbi. And, um, and, and Martha complains about this and Jesus says, you know, no, Mary's actually chosen what's better. Now I've heard this taught many times to be a parable about busyness. Here's Martha being busy, but here's Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mm. And it's, that's a load of crap. Um, no, it's not about busyness. It's about, it's about Jesus granting permission for Mary to assume a place traditionally held by men, that of a learner or a disciple or an apprentice to a rabbi like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Martha's um, sort of resentment of Mary's presumption gets corrected by Jesus. I mean, it's, 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 it's drastic in its implications. Or, or think about all the firsts of, of, of Jesus's ministry. Uh, the first news of the incarnation went to who? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, The first miracle was performed for a woman. The first Samaritan convert was a woman. The first person clearly told by Jesus that he was Messiah was a woman and a Samaritan woman as well. The first Gentile non-Jewish convert was a woman. The first resurrection teaching was given to a woman. The first to witness the resurrection was a woman. Women were among Jesus's most intimate disciples. I mean, you're just like, well, that seems pretty clear. Yeah. Um, he did not belittle. Now, some will say, I mean, and the response to this is, well, yeah, but he chose 12 men to be apostles, right? Right. So where are they? Where are the women there? And that is a total misreading of what Jesus is doing in choosing 12. The issue wasn't that there were 12 men. The issue was that it was 12. Mm-hmm. And even once one of them dies, the first thing they do in the book of Acts is they have to find a 12th. Right. Why? Because Jesus was, the number 12, of course, in Judaism is pregnant with significance and meaning about the original 12 tribes of Israel. Mm -hmm. Jesus was reconstituting Israel around himself. So he chose 12 men. Why? Because there were 12 sons of Jacob that constituted the original Israel. Well, of course. I mean, this is a highly, highly symbolic thing. If you're going to say that 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 um, women cannot be leaders because Jesus told 12 chose 12 disciples, 12 apostles, well, then you got to say that uh, Gentile men can't be d- disciples or leaders either because right. Jesus chose 12 Jews. Right. Right. Or, or he chose 12 circumcised men. So uncircumcised men. I mean, why would you just pick up on the maleness mm-hmm. and ignore the fact that they were young, they were Jewish, they were not seminary trained, they were fishermen. Right. Why not elevate those other issues too? Sure. Totally inconsistent. Uh, I've, we got asked this question at Vox and I'm, I'm wondering if this is, if it's relevant because it's fortunately the Bible creates the same narrative we're talking about but they're saying if if 
if men were respected as leaders in its time very right. equally, right. would Jesus and all of his knowledge realize also, too, that establishing leadership through 12 men would kind of carry the influence and respect of peers and all around it in order to move forward establishment? Because if he, had, if he perhaps did put a female leader directly... But he did. I mean, I mean, that's that's what was so scandalous about the resurrection is that it was first testified to women. I mean, yeah. if Jesus, if that was his M.O., he would have done that everywhere. Okay. But he doesn't do that everywhere. Okay. Um, he he elevates women. Same with Paul, mm-hmm. right? If 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 women can never serve in leadership, and that is a biblical teaching, then why are there so many exceptions? Yes. Um, I just I just I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. And the practice of Jesus was to elevate women. So it was 12 men, not just because it was patriarchal, because Jesus was totally willing to uh, to offend patriarchal sensibilities in yes. other places. Yeah. It was because he was reconstituting Israel. Okay. So so it's clear that among the 72, among the 120, these other numbers of disciples were given, there were many women. Yeah. So Clearly. so I think I think it has to do with the symbolism of the the issue of Jesus we're here now um and we're you know he was he was preaching in America I don't think he'd pull 12 men together mm, um right. I just don't yeah. I, I don't his MO wasn't that mm. so uh so anyway I I don't I think it's highly consistent to say well men can lead because Jesus chose 12 men if you're not going to say well he chose 12 Jewish men so I guess you got to be Jewish uh, I guess you got to be circumcised. I guess you got to be uneducated. I mean, it's just again, it's the inconsistency of this unbiblical nonsense that gets attached uh, as part of the Christian subculture. Yeah, absolutely. And, to, and what other? Yes, yeah. I mean that's great. I mean, what other qualifiers do you want to throw on top of like who he chose as the twelve? Right. I mean, like right. these guys were half of them are criminals, you know. So it's just like we're not more. I guess what I'm saying is that. In our day and age, they would look like criminals to church culture. So it's like the yeah, ze- yeah, yeah. you know zealot tax collectors. You right, know, right. That. Got That's it. what I'm saying. Yes. Yep. I was like, mm. nope. Sorry. Um, all right, anchor three. Yeah. Now again, pe- people and and I have dear dear friends who are going to disagree passionately on this, and and I love them and respect them, and man, there are lots of Jesus loving people that think I'm totally crazy mm-hmm. and i in return think they're totally crazy yeah. and um and think that they've done much harm uh and they think i do harm so it's a beautiful lovely family we live in yeah um but i i want to swing away at what i think are very unbiblical restrictions placed on on sisters and i want to know i want our sisters to know that there there are uh, people out there who really believe, not as a matter of culture, mm-hmm. because our culture's progressed, although that plays a part for sure, and we'll talk about that in a second, but as a matter of textual evidence, we just think there's so much there mm-hmm. that uh, that gives uh, women permission. Third anchor, uh, the Bible should be interpreted consistent with the redemptive trajectory um, and um, the es- eschatological arc that it takes. Now, here's what I mean. So the redemptive trajectory and eschatological arc, eschaton or eschatology is the study of how the thing ends. What's the last bit of this? And, and what we get is very similarly, the, the picture we get in the last couple chapters of uh, the Bible is very similar to the chapter or the picture we get in the first two chapters of the Bible. So it's, it's human community living without hierarchy um, in fellowship with God and each other and renewed earth with human bodies. I mean, it's, it's like garden of Eden part two now in a city. And, um, and there's a trajectory that goes, we see it in G, in the teaching about slavery. We see it in the teaching about women. We see it that, that when God speaks to in Moses's day, he speaks in Moses's way. So there, there are commands about 
um, how you treat slaves that are captured, mm-hmm. right? That Paul would never have given um, right. because Paul speaks in Paul's day and Paul's way. Right. And, um, um, or God speaks in Paul's day and Paul's way. Is that what I said? Yes. Or did I say Paul? Okay. I'm so, sure. so, so many words coming out right now. Um, and so there's a trajectory that we can trace. And, and I think what you can trace is the progressive liberation of women um, to the to the place where you know Paul in the book of, of of Galatians argues that circumcision, which was only the man, right? The only the man carried the mark of the covenant in the old days, right? In the old covenant, you were supposed to be circumcised, and you know if you don't know what that is, ask your parents. Um, and uh, but that was only a male, right? Right. Paul was making this beautiful argument. Now it's baptism, right? And that God calls that he he calls everybody who joins Jesus. Um, through baptism, he calls them sons. Now he doesn't make he doesn't mean that he makes them male. He means that he gives them the rights of sons in right. a patriarchal yes. culture. Yeah. That they now stand to inherit. They now stand in favorite status. They now stand as heirs and not slaves. I mean, it was a total elevation of women that no longer were men only going to carry the mark of the covenant. Now it was going to be women and men carrying the mark of the covenant in baptism, and that they collectively were called sons um, mm. as an inheritors of of all the promises and and then paul ends with this incredible you know in christ there's either neither man nor woman it's not male and female it's out of genesis neither man nor woman um jew or or greek slave or free And, and and of course it's talking about the accessibility of the gospel of course but he's also arguing that the distinctions that carried us hostage before are are rendered uh insignificant it now in the movement of Jesus. And so now again, I mean, we can go into all sorts of defending of that statement, but the point is that's where the thing's going. We start, he makes us male and female, that gets fallen. Um, now there's all sorts of tension between man and woman, uh, but the redemptive arc is the healing of that tension so that man, and, and if you believe in heaven, in the new earth, I shouldn't say in heaven, but in the new earth, in the new heavens, in the new earth, if you think women are eternally subordinate to men, um, then I, I challenge you on that. And, and I would argue that if, 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 if you really think that's how the, the movie's going to end, then, okay, be consistent with um, being that way now. But if you think that's not how the movie ends, but you think that somehow we should hold on to um, how it was under the fall and in, uh, under the curse, yeah. but you think God will change it you know, when he returns. I mean, I just think that's inconsistent. I just think part of what the church is to do is to inhabit and to embody the future today. Right. And so if the future is no hierarchy, no restrictions, no whatever, then we need to inhabit that today. Make sense? Yeah. And, and, and with what you're pointing out, like illuminating the text, it's kind of like, it feels like it, God came through and to and is changing. You know, that's right. like, that's, and that's what's kind of funny about it is like, even with what you're saying, because I feel a lot of complementarianism is packed into um, a lot of stuff Paul had said, you know, in regards to referencing women and men and that type of thing. And I feel like a lot of folks go there. But to your point right there, working from that angle, Paul right there just basically discounted that right so it's just it, it it has to show that there's a misalignment in how and how that's being looked at so. right and there there are beautiful responses by beautiful people to yeah. everything we're saying totally um and i just want to keep saying that because i know we have a lot of complementarian listeners who who ping me with hey why don't you ever have complementarians on mm-hmm. and the answer is because you get all the press egalitarianism doesn't get a lot of press yeah and so 
anyway um yeah. uh and i i wouldn't no forget it. i was gonna make a joke all right <laughs> number four anchor four the bible should also be um interpreted in ways that are consistent with the creation accounts and so um i i there are, this is a, a hot topic because they're they um i don't see any evidence of hierarchy um, and subordination in the Genesis accounts. And there are some scholars who do. So let me give you a brief like thing on Genesis, just because I think it's really important. Number one, of course, male um, and female made in the image of God. That is huge and massively significant and vastly underappreciated uh, by how countercultural that was, that men and women equally shared in the vocational call to tend the earth and to expand the borders of Eden. And they vocationally shared in the image bearing and the, and that both of them together constituted the image of God, not just one of them, not just man by himself, not just woman by herself. It was the both of them together that constituted the image mm-hmm. uh, of God. And, and, and you, you then, so that's Genesis one and Genesis two, you get this, and this is where, this is where some of the debate comes in. You get this man walking around by himself and, and the, and God comes and says, Hey, I hate that you're lonely. It's not good that you're alone. Let me create a suitable helper for you. And there's some debate about whether or not the man is androgynous at this point, because man can also just mean human. And, and, you know, the man um, because the man gets split now into male and female. And so is, was the man gendered masculinely or, or not at this point? And we're not really sure because Adam means the ground and man can mean human. And so there's a lot of wordplay uh, that's going on that's, that's very, very fascinating. But point is, God comes and says, I will make a suitable helper for you to alleviate your loneliness. Um, and, and, and it's not just relational aloneness, it's vocational and uh, aloneness as well. I mean, mm-hmm. th- there's a lot going on there. And so, of course, um, suitable helper we've talked about before. Uh, the word helper is ezer, um, which, which is a strong rescuing word used of God all over the book of Psalms. Um, so it's not inferior at all. Suitable is the word connecto and alike opposite the man so that they were alike to bear the image. They were uh, opposite so that uh, they were complementary, which in that sense is a great use of the word. Um, and uh, and so, so suitable helper did mean associate, assistant, like she couldn't do anything. No, no, no. She was, and, and, and the rabbis made a big deal of the fact that she was taken from the man's side because the man was taken from the ground. So, so uh, the, the woman, um, some of the rabbis taught that the woman held a slightly more exalted position because the woman was made not from straight dust, but from dust that had already been refined. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and the rabbis, some of them would, um, would comment, because there were debates about, about the role of women and so on, would comment that God made, took, took a, a woman from the man's side um, to demonstrate companionship, not the man's head so that she would rule over him or the man's feet so that she would rule under him, but the man's side. And, and then the man titles her. He doesn't give her a name because that's the big thing is the man names things and he names things as a, from a position of authority. And the argument is, no, no, he names the woman here. He actually doesn't name the woman. He just declares her woman and he declares himself man. They're not names. They're kind of statements of function. Ish and Isha, I think, are the words that are used there. Ish and Isha, I think, is the better way to pronounce them. But point is, he doesn't name her until after they sin. And what's the consequence of one of their sins? Your desire will be for your husband, Genesis 3, and he will rule over you. In other words, hierarchy didn't come 
until after the fall, until mm. sin and death entered the world. Right. And part of the curse was instead of the shalom that the man and woman were to have together. Now we have a power struggle and everyone who has dated or been married knows that this is true. Um, and so, so what you have in Genesis, I think, is an, an, a, a beautiful picture of the co-participation of men and women together. It was like we were talking about with the Mike Pence thing, right? This yeah. wasn't to be sexualized. This was to be labored. Now, of course, sexualizing happens, and that's why there's this thing called marriage and blah, 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 blah. But, but in general, the human vocation was to be carried out by men and women together. Mm -hmm. That yes, there were differences, but nothing in Genesis suggests subordination in leadership, subordination in role, subordination in authority, subordination in hierarchy. There's just nothing there. Mm -hmm. You got to read that back in. All right. Are you still with me? Yeah, I'm with you. I have this whole other sub layer I'm getting all torn up about over here, but I don't, I don't know if we want to go there. I don't think we have time. Well, what's the sub layer? Let's see. Because <laughs> now I, I feel like I sit in this tension of like, okay, well then if we're looking at, you know, we're packaging the conversation in, in you know, women authority and we have women leadership. However, with everything we're saying, it's, we're kind of, there's this pre-fall we're talking about the the unification almost of like no gender you know if, if no no, well, no, 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 no no maybe not no gender but it's that there the unison or the the equal the equal authority pre-sin you know yeah, in that yeah. i think it's just i'm, I'm hearing so much of this stuff and i'm it, it's it's like i'm like oh what about everything lgbtq you know, because it's kind of, sure. it's just fascinating, even with Paul and there's no man, there's no woman. If in the baptism, this is what it becomes. It's like, I mean, and, and these are probably but more of the not, affirming he's conversations. He's not saying that. Yeah. Okay. He's not saying there's no man and no woman in Christ. He's mm -hmm. saying there's no male or female as designations that divide. There's no slave okay. or free as designations that divide. So he's, yeah. see, see what, see, Paul chooses pairs where there was animosity between the two. Mm -hmm. So, so freeman and slave, right? Yeah. Slave and master. I mean, right. of course there were, there were moral designations attached to those things and there were social status designations attached to those yes. things. Right. So, yes. um, so, so Jew and Greek, yes. um, slave or free male and female, all of that was loaded language. So if mm -hmm. I said Republican Democrat, yes. if okay. I said, uh, pacifist and ISIS terrorist, if I you know, so uh, he's choosing, he's choosing pairs that had animosity and that were used to relegate, mm -hmm. Um, um, and make social judgments upon, which, and I think, I think what I would argue then is then in our our modern context is not the LGBTQ community versus the traditional marriage community, kind of two socio political things that are at odds with each other in in similar relationship to have, what Paul was referring okay. to. What? Why but are we going on this? That's what that was my point. I said like I'm not sure that I want to go here. So that I have, have to, but have you asked we for not, it. You asked for have it. Have we not talked <laughs> enough? My We've goodness. talked a little bit about this. But anyhow, maybe it's for later. Andy Bear anyhow, this trying is, to hijack the conversation. I, I'm really not. The usurper. Listen, I, I represent the voice of the people. False. And I have to assume that False. with this particular conversation, some of the stuff that's in here, that I think some of these thoughts you can, have come up. You can hear already how the traditional case for marriage could be made straight from Genesis. Yeah. And you could hear how people would have to respond to say, nope, this was actually not talking about uh, issues that concern. I mean, you could, there, there are straight lines from what we just said, but I'm trying Andy bear to stick on this. Cause I got more and you're doing great. False. So we can, I could, I could bail and I will bail. 
You, but we, you, you asked for it. Okay, I did. I, I will know next time. <laughs> Don't ask Andy. And, and one of the, you know, one of the interesting, I'm, I'm, I'm going straight back. One of the interesting things, my friend, on um, the, the complementarians, if they're going to root complementarity in the way they mean it in Genesis, then that means it has bigger application for the church than mm-hmm. the church, than the church. So okay. women should not be prime ministers. Women should not be presidents. Women should not be lawyers yeah. with mere, male paralegals, mm-hmm. right? Women should not be police officers. Women should not be referees of male sporting events. Right, right. And, and, and some of the more consistent complementarians argue this. I mean, and they're, they're incredibly, um, they're incredibly consistent. And, and, and I'm, I appreciate that because it shows how wrong they are. Um, there, you can do a reductio ad absurdum on this stuff and go, really? Um, so at the heart, uh, so this is John Piper, um, at the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationship without passing any judgment on the appropriateness of these roles. One thinks of the following possible instances. So he's saying, okay, don't pass judgment on these, but what about prime ministers and her counselors and advisors? Um, right. I mean, that, that, is that really what you want to do? Um, does that damage? And he's asking the question, does that damage the nature of femininity in a woman that oversees a man? And is, is, does it damage the nature of masculinity in a man that's overseen by a woman? Mm-hmm. Uh, principals and the teachers in her school, college teachers and her students, bus drivers and her passengers, bookstore managers and her clerks, um, staff doctors and her interns, lawyers and her aides, judges and, and court personnel, Right? They conclude this way, one uh, or more of these roles might stretch appropriate expressions of femininity beyond the breaking point. Mm. The God-given sense of responsibility for leadership in a mature man will not generally allow him to flourish long, to, will not generally allow him to flourish long under personal directive leadership of a female superior. Dang. So, so at least they're consistent, some of them, in saying, well, if it's rooted in creation, see, that's the, that's the, that's the counter. They say, well, it's rooted in creation. Okay, then, then you should have restrictions on women everywhere, right? right. Because if women are, are built to follow and men are built to lead in the ways that you suggest, then, then we got to apply this everywhere, right? How old? So we shouldn't have female teachers in high school. Right, we shouldn't right. have female college professors. I mean, all of this is capitulating now to this this demonic feminism, Jezebel spirit of the age, or something. Yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> what in the world? Yeah. So, That's so crazy. it is absolutely, absolutely, absolutely crazy. So, so, um, uh, so I, I just think the anchors sort of for me begin to flesh out the 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 answers to an issue like this it's mm-hmm. like well no no creation seems and the eschaton seems and jesus seems i mean they all seem to be ahead of um where culture was yeah um and just a couple of things and and, and this one is a huge one we've talked about it before um the bible should always be interpreted in ways that promote the spread of its core message in other words paul when you get to paul and, and paul and women paul does things um, that I, and 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 so does Peter. So much of their uh, filter about men's and women's issues is what's going to unnecessarily offend 
the culture around it. They want to give the, the, the gospel the greatest hearing they can give it. And so the reason in 1 Corinthians, we were talking about head coverings and long hair. And the reason Paul's talking about being silent and, 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 and we're talking about asking questions and not having um, authority in, a, in Ephesus. Uh, the reason I would argue those prohibitions exist is because in those instances, it was inhibiting the spread of the gospel. So it'd be like, hey, go to Afghanistan, woman. Let's have, and we used this example before. We'll have a young lady go to Afghanistan and preach the gospel without a head covering and a burqa and... You know, she'd gain no hearing. Now, right. she may not get any hearing just because she's a Christian, but you understand the point I'm making. Yeah. It would be foolish in an, an Islamic country um, to not respect the cultural practices right. that aren't essential to the proclamation of the core message. Correct? Right. Yes. It would be totally offensive. Whereas here, um, you, may, you, you may actually restrict the spread of the gospel by saying that only men can preach it. And so the reason I think there are any prohibitions at all is because of this missionary thrust that was at the forefront of Paul's mind in telling men and women how they should act because the Christian movement was coming under examination not only by Jewish leadership, but in Gentile um, cities who were wondering what in the heck is this new cult? And, you know, there were, there were all sorts of lies told about the Christian community. They were atheists because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. They were cannibals because they, they ate the flesh and blood of Jesus. I mean, they were, that they, they, that they had orgies like the other cults of the day. I mean, there were all, all sorts of misinformation. Paul and Peter and others have that at the forefront of their mind. And when they give instructions and in things called household codes, they're telling people, hey, hey, slaves, um, respect your masters so that you would make the gospel more attractive. Mm -hmm. Now, Paul is ultimately going to argue, you know, uh, about one particular slave master issue in the book of Philemon. No, no, no. Hey, treat this person as a brother, right? I mean, this is not a slave. This is a brother in Christ. I mean, he's, you see a glimpse of where he sees this thing going. Yeah. But he also recognizes that that if you stand up and instead of preaching the good news about Jesus, you, you preach, hey, let's overturn slavery, you're going to be put to death and the movement of Jesus is, is done, right? And we have examples of, of, of this from all sorts of missionary endeavors. You go into a polygamous culture and the first thing, the first thing you do <laughs> is um, you begin to preach the good news about Jesus. The, what you don't do is preach, hey, if you follow Jesus, you have to give up polygamy. Right? Right. But why? Because polygamy isn't essential to whether or not Jesus is who Jesus right. said he came to be, right? It, right. It, it, it's just, it's it, so, so to me, um, you interpret the Bible realizing that God is a missionary and all of his followers are missionaries and they're not to impose imperialistically their message on others and seek to convert people and manipulate people and coerce people, but rather they're to make the good news about Jesus embodied and attractive so that living under the, the idea that Jesus is Lord is actually a beautiful and freeing thing, that we become mm. more human in so doing. Now, now, that doesn't mean we won't be at odds with the culture in virtue of following Jesus. It simply means, though, that at the core of Paul's instructions about how men and women were to act in their households and in the faith community is this missionary idea. They were to try to gain a hearing in Gentile cultures. Now, there were things they did that were totally offensive, right? They did not worship the Roman gods. Why? Because they saw that central to the proclamation of Jesus as Lord, right? So they didn't budge on that thing. But there were other things that, you know, Paul's like, hey, listen, 
does not nature teach us that that men you know and women are to have different lengths of hair i mean it was just a very common and and short hair on women was associated with things and long hair in men was associated with different things and you can see the statues of the cities that paul was talking to and realize yeah, yeah he's got reasons for these things he's not just he's not just plucking this stuff out of thin air saying hey guys all right this is how it's going to be everywhere He's, he's actually arguing, no, 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 for the sake of the message, there are times you have to restrict your freedom. Mm-hmm. And he does, this, he does this all over the place. Now, we can, give, we can give a thousand examples. In fact, I have 10 more pages of notes Whoa. Uh, that we could use, but we're going we're gonna to cut it. <laughs> we're going to cut it here um, because I, I, think it'll be, I think it'll be fun to hear what people say in response to what we've said thus far, right? Um, uh, but, and obviously, I mean, this, so, so, so some of the counters are things like, well, can you make the same argument for homosexuality and gay marriage, mm-hmm. right? That you just made same anchors lead you in the same direction. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes, uh, people will use the uh, to- topic of slavery mm-hmm. and, and, um, and say, well, listen, you know, the same arguments that are used to keep women out of leadership were used, you know, to keep slaves in slavery and the same counters. And so, th- so there's this really interesting book called, um, slaves, women, and homosexuals. <laughs> I-, I think that's what it's called by <laughs> William Webb. It was written in the early two thousands and, um, and it was, uh, it was about the trajectory in the Bible on certain issues. And so his argument was, um, there is a trajectory when it comes to slavery and women, but not a trajectory when it comes to, to homosexuality, because the, the, the consistency of the prohibitions against homosexuality and the references backwards to the garden, uh, at least according to Webb, were what sort of swung um, that sort of analogy differently than the, the, the and issue slaves of and women. slaves and women. Yeah. It's an interesting book because, mm. because he deals with these sorts of issues. Um, and, and that's the conclusion he comes to, but how he gets there is the fascinating, mm. fascinating part. Cause there are all these anchors and you can disagree with the anchors. Again, I want you to know for those of you who are diehard Christians, this isn't sermon time. This isn't like exegesis time. This is more just talking about having discussions around really huge, um, cultural issues from a Jesus following sort of perspective that honors and respects the fact that not everyone listening is a Jesus follower. And so uh, please understand, yeah, I mean, uh, there are holes in everything I'm saying that we could fill in and there's much more to be said, but this gets at least the conversation going. And so when I come to a text, whether it's gay marriage, whether it's um, abortion, whether it's um, uh, politics, whether it's women in ministry, on any of these hot topic issues, these are the anchors I use to um, to help sift and sort. Now, of course, you go text by text and you study the original language and the context and the audience, but 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 those are things that are always hanging out in the back of my mind. What what did Jesus do? If Jesus is the full revelation of God, then it's got to be consistent with him. Does this have any bearing on the picture we get at the end of the story or the beginning of the story? Um, Was there any missionary concerns about how Paul was answering some of these big questions Mm -hmm. that could help us understand the the, the teaching he gives in its context? Yeah. Yeah. So to me, those are all hugely significant, important questions. And there are a couple other anchors along the way, too. Wow. So there you go. Bigly. Bigly. Yes. My first hundred <laughs> days, I have succeeded. Bigly. 
um uh so anyway my brothers and sisters um we just want to say as always thank you we love your feedback um for our patreon supporters we have a facebook group um that uh we always are very interested um and sam you took me you took me to the woodshed yesterday oh yeah um and uh <laughs> so so yeah sam was not not happy with one of the answers i gave no. at, at a at a q a um but see, we love that stuff. Oh, yeah. And so thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing your stories with us. We're super grateful. Um, if, if you want to ever give us any feedback about the podcast, what's the email? Hello? Yeah. Hello at voxpodcast.com. Yeah. I'd love to hear what you guys would love to talk about, what we could do better. Um, I'm open to any other suggestion outside of more Andy. Um, <laughs> that's the one I simply will not uh. countenance. Is is that one? Yeah, the only less Andy affirmation we get is, uh, you know, more grace. <laughs> what? More? No, no. We get. I get. No. I get a lot of affirmations that say less Andy. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, so anyway, my brothers and sisters, um, would love your thoughts on all these things and and learn from you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance to you. And in these crazy days, may he give you peace. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.